and you'll always need to put in that extra work because the world is competitive. If wind doesn't teach you anything, that's when it gets dangerous. Discipline, which is way better than motivation because motivation ebbs and flows, but discipline is there to stay, right? Hello, and welcome to the Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Welcome to episode 7 of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. This week we bring you Joseph Polifisakis. The episode is titled The Power of Positivity. But before we talk about Joe, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to everyone that has given us feedback on Apple Podcast and Spotify. A piece of feedback we recently received was, As an academic psychologist, I love this podcast. Inspiring guests, highlighting the qualities that have helped them to reach the top, allows the listener to take those qualities and apply them to their own lives. A really enjoyable listen. Thank you so much for taking the time to give us that feedback. If you aren't already, please follow us on Apple Podcast and follow on Spotify. Sign up to our newsletter at theolympicmindsetpodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by our partners, NEHT, the School Leaders Union. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. This week's guest is Joseph Polifisakis. Joe is a Canadian male sabre fencer, he's a multiple Pan American Games medalist and is also a former Pan American Championships silver medalist. Joe has recently left the world of athletics and now works in marketing and Joe is here today to talk to us about the lessons he learned as an athlete and how he's transitioned across into the world of business. Joe, how are you? Thank you, very happy to be here. Now, Joe, I know you're a huge advocate of a positive mindset. Would you mind taking a second to explain to our listeners exactly what you mean by a positive mindset? You know, I I, I like to think of positivity not of always being uh, super, you know, everything's the best, everything's rosy, everything's great, because there are always difficult moments in life. Um, but I think it's about how you frame these difficult moments and how you always try to find uh, a solution or a way to overcome them uh, that makes it that you have that positive mindset, finding ways uh, to understand that not everything is, uh, it, it's not permanent, it's temporary, and you could always find a way, um, a way to make things better. Like you see the, the sort of the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think when you have that mindset, it really helps you overcome obstacles much better, much easier uh, than if not, than if you have that pessimistic mindset. So I, I think it's very important to always go through life with a mindset that whatever happens, I'll be able to handle it and find a way uh, to overcome it. Uh, even when some things seem, you know, insurmountable or, you know, something that is life altering, it's just ways of finding other ways to, to overcome that, uh, that gives somebody that that power to, to, to go through and push through uh, instead of be beaten down by it. So I think that that's what's helped us grow is that mindset that no matter what happens, I could find a way around this or forward. Uh, and how do I do that? What are the tools I could use? Uh, so always looking for those solutions is is much better, I feel, uh, than having that pessimistic approach. Yeah, I agree. However, to counter that, there is a, such a thing as blind optimism too, right? So it's about getting that balance between 
being optimistic and working towards a goal that's possibly achievable, but yet letting go of things that maybe are not good for you. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I do agree that you should not be blindly optimistic or too happy uh, about everything all the time because there is going to be moments that are, are, are more difficult and uh, you have to be ready for that. And I think that that's always um, an important factor to understand is that you can't uh, be in this bubble of just telling yourself things are always going to be great. There are going to be moments where things are not great and how you how you interpret those and how you find uh, what's good for you to go forward is what's going to get you uh, to the other side you know i had i had many situations where you know I, I i was very upset at some some setbacks that i had in sport uh and i wanted to quit and i thought i you know i had some bad injuries uh that i thought you know i would never be the same after that but i realized when i started focusing on what i can control which is okay well what can i do today to feel a little bit better or what can i do today where i know that if i keep doing it in x number of months i'll feel a little bit better or something's going to help you know so you try to get the specialists around you to help you through that uh, and you know there's the physical aspect but there's the mental aspect to try and overcome these hurdles on a daily basis and you know it, it's kind of funny that you know sometimes you think something is so impossible but on a day-to-day when you put in these little amounts of effort and work and just focus on the now instead of thinking too much about the future or what's going to happen you eventually start to get better and, or, or find you know solutions to that issue um, so you know many times in my career where I thought it would be okay well this is it I'm done or um, you know I'm never going to come back the same I actually came back better. Uh, and that's because I would put things into play uh, that uh, would be a daily, daily sort of, you know, reminder of what I have to do. Uh, so eventually, just with time and effort, a lot of the times you could overcome a lot and, and come back stronger than before. And that's what these moments are. So you could grow from them and get stronger. And that's what actually helps you get to the next level. And talking of challenges, there must have been many. I think I read somewhere that yours was a 16-year journey to the Olympics. How did your mindset evolve over that time? And what types of challenges did you face during that period? Yes, exactly. It took me, it took me 16 years. Uh, and, um, and actually, you know, many setbacks. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't make my, like, one of my first attempts was in 2012. Uh, and I was, uh, I was, you know, 20, 20 at the time, when, or 19 when I was in that cycle. Uh, having one of the best, uh, you know, I was one of the youngest on the circuit, but I had one of the best ever results uh, in, in, in Canadian history, finishing top eight in the world uh, at 19 from Canada that had never been done uh, at, at a Grand Prix event, which was all the strongest guys. And this was during the Olympic qualification period. So I had a huge leaps and bounds uh, of points ahead of, ahead of all the other competitors to qualify. And I remember panicking a little bit because I was not supposed to be in that position so, so, so high above. And there was a couple of competitions left to close out that qualification. And um, I, I completely started panicking. I was overthinking. I was trying to, to be too aggressive in the upcoming competitions to be like, oh, I got to solidify my place. And I ended up having some pretty bad results and others had good ones. And, you know, in the last minute, I, I got surpassed uh, and didn't qualify for 2012. And uh, I remember that being a huge setback to me. Um, but it taught me a lot because I was so focused on this goal of just qualifying after, after I got that result that I wasn't thinking of the process of, Hey, like just focus on this match in front of you, this point ahead of you, how are you going to, how are you going to do the next point and the next point? I was thinking of the result of, I need to win this match, but not how am I going to win this next point? Right? So when you think too far ahead into the future and overthink, that's when anxiety kicks in, hesitation, self-doubt. Uh, and I, and the results uh, that followed showed me that I didn't achieve my goal. Um, so what, what, what really helped me is, 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 
really take a step back from always trying to focus on that future goal, but focusing, having that as a guiding principle, but those little steps and those little, you know, incremental things you have to do to get better and and be focused are very important. And um, when I, when I tried another run uh, in 2016, I had a whole other set of obstacles uh, before getting there, which made that qualification even, even more incredible for me and, and life altering in terms of lessons I learned. I think Michael Phelps first coined the term gold medal syndrome. The anticlimax and feelings of emptiness that can follow a big success or a meaningful competition experience. So for you reaching the Olympics, that can be a really difficult thing for you to overcome. So what I would like to ask you next is, firstly, how do you overcome the anticlimax of reaching your lifelong goal at such an early age? And what lessons have you taken from those experiences into your life now working in marketing and in business? Yeah, so that's that's a very difficult emotion uh, to process, uh, and I think everyone goes through it uh, to a certain extent when you have such a, a goal that takes such a long period of time that you're so focused on. Um, and you know, be it an Olympic gold medalist or someone who didn't win a gold or who didn't win an Olympics uh, but just participated anyway, it, it's still everyone experiences it to some degree. And I'll, I'll, I'll myself, it was uh, it was a very big. Um, a uh, big moment for me after returning from the Olympics, such a whirlwind uh, of emotions. Uh, but what I what I learned later on of, of what's important um, is that everything that you do on the way to that goal is something that never gets taken away from you and has built you into the person you are. So that's usually how you're able to translate what you've learned into other areas of life. But you have to really acknowledge that it's not achieving or not achieving this goal that's going to make you happy. It's it's everything you had to do in that process that makes you a better, stronger person, more resilient, uh, stronger physically, mentally. And that person is is always going to be there after that. And no matter what you know this goal is. So that's what goals are supposed to be. It's not supposed to be when I attain it, I'm going to be happy because life goes on. There's other things that come up. You have other issues in your life and you realize this is just one of so many other things going on in your life. Your life doesn't end when you achieve the Olympics. You still like have to wake up the next day and be like, well, what am I doing? Oh, I just got to do it again. So the, the or, or do something else. And that's the realization a lot of people have is that when you achieve something and you want it so much, you have to realize that achieving it is not really the goal. <laughs> it's, it's about what it took you to achieve that, that you take into other things of your life after. Um, so I think that's really important to realize. I really needed guidance and support, and that's where the NAHT really came in. They were always there with regular communication, and I knew that there was somebody that I could talk to if I needed to. I'm a member of a local branch, so again, I could talk to people who are in the same situation as me, not just a a very local perspective, but a bit more of a wider perspective as well. Knowing that other people are there in the same situation as me really helped. NAHT is here to defend and promote the rights of all school leaders. So together, we can create a better education system for educationalists and learners alike. For more information, email us at joinus at naht.org.uk or call us on 0300 30 30 333. So, um, right, next question for you, Joseph, is... If you had to determine what an Olympic mindset was to somebody listening to this, working in the business world, working in education, working in another sector, what would you say the three features of an Olympic mindset are? Okay, yeah. So so number one is passion uh, for what you're doing. Um, you have to have that internal um, 
you know, you have to like what you're doing at the base of it, because if you have that, that's fuel for everything else after that to, to get through losses, to get through setbacks, you have to like what you're doing or you're not going to want to put the effort in. So passion is number one. Uh, then perseverance uh, is number two for sure. So you're always going to have setbacks. You're always going to, you know, lose in sport or have a bad day at work or bad, you know, you know, situation at work or something. And you have to be able to keep going and find ways to, um, to learn from the setbacks. Uh, and that's through perseverance uh, and understanding, really understanding like, okay, what's going wrong? How do I keep, I could get, I could get through this and having that positive outlook. But if you don't have passion for what you're doing, you likely won't try and find solutions. You're going to try and find ways out, you know? And then I find that that's, that's what happens is that you need to have that, that underlying love for what you're doing uh, in order to keep doing that perseverance. Right. And, and then there's that, the, the discipline piece where beyond your passion, beyond your perseverance, just having consistency of what you're doing, despite the good and the bad days, right? So passion's important, but you know, you won't always wake up super motivated and in love with your sport. I hated my sport a lot of the times. Um, I hated, you know, the, the injuries I would get. I hated the, sometimes the referees that would be biased and I was uh, upset at it. And uh, just to keep that discipline of, of keeping that goal uh, like that you have in the, on the horizon, like we say, getting towards that goal with discipline is more important than pure motivation all the time. Because there are these, if you're, if you just do when you're motivated, it'll be two, two days or three days a week that you don't want to do anything. So you just stay home. So that's not enough. You know, you have to have that discipline that's set in your schedule of what you're going to do and what you're going to be doing. So I think if, if you have those three things, I think in sport or in life, that's what success is about. Yeah, absolutely. You can't argue with passion, perseverance, dedication, all those kind of things that revolve around the term grit. But there are some that would argue that there's an element of talent involved with whatever we might go on to achieve. So how much of a key to success would you say that initial talent is? There's no shortcuts, unfortunately. Some people have talent that help them get somewhere faster, but they all hit a wall at some point because at one point everyone has talent the higher you go. So you separate yourself from the pack initially to a certain point and you'll have the talent to get to the next level, but it, you always peak at some point and you'll always need to put in that extra work uh, because every, it's, the world is competitive uh, and there's, there's, you're, there's no one wakes up who has this incredible talent that just gets to the top without working hard. Like they'll, they'll get to a certain point and hopefully you learn early on the thing when you're talented sometimes is that you take some shortcuts early on because you just get it quicker than people. And then you're like, okay, I don't need to put this much. And that would happen initially happened to me when I was younger. And I had the talent when I started fencing, fueled my, my passion fuel. And I was getting some good results. So I was liking it even more. And I was like, okay, but I was, I was more natural to me and I would be winning provincial competitions or national competitions and be like, Oh wow, this is good. I'm doing something right. But then you hit the international level and then, they have super talented people coming out of every country who have been started earlier than you fencing, who do it two times a day, who put in the work, uh, who are not in school, uh, who are full time doing this. And you're like, how are you going to compete with these guys? Like, you're not just going to show up there the same way you do it uh, at the national event. So you have to change your approach and work ethic. Uh, and if you don't learn that quick, um, you're doomed because, you know, all that built up, you know, work that they've put in comes out. So you have to do that in life with everything. That story where you're up against other athletes that maybe had more years of experience than you, they've been trying for longer than you, that reminded me of a study that I read once. Um, basically, I think it was in the Education Endowment Fund, which is a website for educators. It's basically research that's been produced on behalf of, of the education profession. And, and 
I read somewhere that Bill Gates uh, made, uh, I think it was a TED talk about plateau theory. So plateau theory is basically the idea that when somebody's taught for three years, their teaching quality doesn't change thereafter. Um, however, there was studies produced after that to show that, the okay, in the first three to five years, that is the steepest or the, the most rapid improvement you see in your career. However, effectiveness of a teacher can improve over the next 28 to 30 years of their career. So what that means is experience and more experienced teachers are essentially more effective than newer teachers, despite the fact that what we see in our profession sometimes is they sometimes get overlooked for jobs because they're too expensive. So there you go to anybody listening, hire UPS teachers if you can. Um, uh, and the reason I raise that point is because you've talked there about the transition from being inexperienced to experienced and trying to to make up that gap. Was there anything you did? Because I've just defended experienced teachers there, but I will say one thing as a caveat. If you've taught the same thing in the same school for 25 years and never challenged yourself, never pushed yourself, never engaged in any professional development, you're probably not going to be as effective as you could have been as if you'd had 20 years experience and maybe five different schools and five different roles and lots of different scenarios and lots of professional development, you obviously improve a lot quicker. Would you say that's similar to sport? And what would you say are your views of gaining experience and trying to rapidly improve and close that gap as quickly as possible? Was there anything you learned and anything that we could take away? Yeah, that's that's a great uh, a great point to saying that that jump. And a lot of people can't make that jump. It's also from, not even national, but from a junior to a senior level because junior goes up to 19 years old. So there's some superstars that are like world champion juniors or the top in the junior field. And then they go into senior the next year, which is 20 and up. And they're fighting guys who are 30 or 28 or 27 who have been on the senior circuit for like 10 years. And yeah, they have the youth and the uh, explosiveness, but they don't have the, the psychological skills of how to, how, to, how to plan out a match, how to keep a strategy going, how to dissect their opponent, how to figure out what works, what doesn't how to come back from a couple of points down, like those things you learn as a senior over years and time. So you come into there. Uh, I came back from the junior world championships. We had just come second in the world as a team, team Canada, first time ever. So I was part of the three person team that we did one of the best results. We lost to Germany and then we come on the senior circuit and it's a whole other beast. And what, what, what you realize is that experience is something that is built over time and you can't shortcut to it. But the way people get experience faster is by learning quicker from their mistakes. It's whoever learns quicker from their mistakes to build it into experience, right? If you just keep repeating the same mistakes over years, you're not getting experience. You're just, you know, that's, that's the definition of insanity and just being a little bit, you know, blind to what your, what your weaknesses are. But the best guys get experience quicker than others because they learn faster. And that's because they're honest with themselves of what's going wrong. So what I, what I had to do is, what am I lacking? We started working on that a lot more. And then I, I started progressing in the senior ranks actually better than the rest of my junior peers and having a better career overall in the seniors where I had some historic results uh, over my career that uh, are still, you know, to this day, some of the best, uh, you know, in Canada's history, at least. Um, so that's, that's what changed a lot in my mindset is when I made that jump from junior to senior and I saw that difference, it was intimidating. When I first got to my first, senior world cup i was like wow these guys are on another level uh but i but i really really wanted to get you know comfortable in that environment and training abroad really working with your coach really putting in the work i i was slowly starting to get it hey i'm i'm doing the same thing these guys are doing and i know i have the talent so i just have to keep doing it and learning from it 
and slowly I would start beating bigger names and bigger and bigger names uh, and doing good results. So it's it's just to accept that you will have that that lack of skill, but you have to just realize what am I lacking as quickly as possible? What are my strengths? Work on those. What are my weaknesses? Tighten those up. But you got to figure that out with your coach, your mentor, yourself, however you do, your psychologist, whatever it is, you need to have a proper assessment of where you are and where you want to get and how you're going to do it. Like it's a plan. It's called a plan, right? It's, and and that's, that's when you put in that discipline, that perseverance, because there's going to be obstacles to that plan, but you got to have that underlying discipline and perseverance and passion to get through it. I agree completely. You've mentioned a lot in this conversation so far to learn from failure, to learn from adversity, to keep reflecting on those weaknesses and improving. But did you ever really stop to think that actually we can still learn just as much from the times we've been successful? Yeah, in, initially, um, I, I really never thought about that. Um, I was really just focused on I want to have a good season. I want to have a good you know competition, trying to be in the here and now. I think you start to think about a lot more later in your career and, and you, you try to look back uh, because I think if, if, you know, sometimes what would happen is I would get a good result and I'd be so empowered by it and, and drunk on that, like high. Uh, and, and that is actually sometimes just as bad as getting the lowest of lows and a loss uh, because you, you sort of, it's, it's about losing touch with reality a bit and, and just getting too far off on each end. You need to come back to that middle because if you want to be consistent over a long period of time, every time you get a good result, if you fly off the moon and you think you're the best and you know you get this confidence, you might be good the next competition. But if you haven't actually put in the work to keep getting better, and you're just floating on that, you're going to hit a wall again. And that happened to me too, where I would get this great result, this historic. I'm like, oh my God, this is the best result of all time. And then the next competition... You, you do okay, pretty good, not the historic result again. And then the one after that, it was like a, a, a flop, right? And, and you're like, whoa. And it's because the past two months, you've sort of been riding on this, like, I'm good again. And then you have to bring yourself down. And it's the same thing with a loss. You can't stay in a loss too long and you can't stay in a win too long. I say, you know, you get a good win, celebrate it in the moment and move on. And the same thing almost with a loss. It, it, you have to treat it almost the same way of I won, I won. This was great. Use it as confidence of what works and you just keep pushing on that. I lost what didn't work. Let me keep working on what didn't work to try and make it better. But both of them should teach you something. And as they say, usually losses teach you more because you have to put a lot more work to get, you know, to where you want to be when you have a loss. But both should teach you something. And if they, if a win doesn't teach you anything, that's when it gets dangerous uh, because you're too, you know, you, you're sort of once again disconnected from the reality. Mm, that's a great point. And you know, you've just made me think a little about the kind of relationship and the dynamic we have with mentors and coaches. I know in the arts and in business, mentorship is just one of those things that happens now. It's just pretty much accepted, whereas we're only just about getting there in education. Um, and I remember reading recently somewhere that um, executives who've had a mentor, so business executives that have had a mentor, um, earn more money at a younger age and are better educated and are more likely to follow their career path set out in front of them and probably more likely to engage in mentorship and network with other high worth individuals. That was obviously a business study. But I, I guess what I took away from that is if you're more likely to create those networks, more likely to stay focused on your goals, more likely to um, work towards them and achieve the success that you set out for yourself. Why don't we try and adapt more of that to education? So again, reflecting on you and your experience in sport, were there any coaches or mentors that you had and what kind of difference did they make to you? Was there any one person that really got through to you and made a difference to you? 
Yeah, uh, that's very interesting because in uh, in sport, uh, I had a couple of different coaches on on in different parts of my career. The one who started me off, and the one who I took to another, who took me like to another level, and then after him, someone else who came in and and, and changed, you know, had a different approach. But what I'd say is that uh, uh, most of the the best, uh, some of the coaches that really impacted me are the ones who were able to psychologically help me understand, um, you know the importance of, of, of like a loss is not the end of the world and what do we got to do to fix it and how they, they, they just viewed, they had confidence in my abilities. So that helped me like believe in myself. They, they actually believed that I was, that I had the potential. So sometimes they believe in it before you believe it in yourself. Sometimes it's the opposite. You believe yourself a lot more than they do. But for me, initially I, I, I had, you know, that, that jump from the junior to the seniors for me was like a big step I wanted to do. And they believed I could really do well. Uh, and that really helped me put in that extra work and, and the way they would frame things, which I was like, I didn't have coaches who were, you know, just berating you or just saying, Hey, you suck until you don't like it was, it was not that type of environment. It was an environment very like, it was a lot of work expected, but I know you have the capacity to do well. And I believe in you. And that really helped me. Um, and, and, you know, people are different, but we knew that it was not easy and there was no shortcuts, but he believed in me. So that's that's the thing is that i'm asking you to do this because i think and i know you could get to the next level and like i said within a year of, of being in the senior ranks i did that really big historic result because i believed i could make that jump and i i saw it and he saw it and it sort of proved it so that was that's something that i learned a lot about a leader if, if they if they believe in you it makes such a big difference and you could feel it uh and and when you have someone who believes in you listen to them uh, because it's very rare that you'll have people who are not your parents telling you you're good or like that you have, you have the potential, right? And, and when they do have that, listen to what they're saying to you uh, and latch onto them because the, there's some people out there that are, or of all the people, but it's, it's sometimes rare that they actually, you know, believe in you and care and want you to succeed. Now, as a manager too, in, in a corporate world, managers also see talent and they, they identify talent. And when they identify talent, they won't always always be the, there of a coach with you every day, but they will set up time to, to speak with you, to give you some some tips. And like I said, a mentor either from another company or someone up there, if they see that you're hungry and you have talent, they, a lot of times they, they'll sometimes see themselves in you or something that reminds them of when they were beginning and they want to give back at this point in the legacy. Um, when you have those people, you just stick to them and, and build that relationship because they really help you skip a lot of steps and they help you have that confidence that you can overcome it because they've been through it and they see it in you. So it gives you that extra boost uh, that you need. At Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they have to say on the topics that matter. From the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. So Joe, I recently 
watched a documentary about an American football team and, and what happens to those guys after they've graduated, they've gone to the NFL, they get the huge contract and then they're finished at the end of their career. And it was a frightening statistic. It was 78% of American football players go broke just three years after retirement. Now, bearing in mind, most of them earn multi-million dollar contracts. Now, that led me to speaking to an amazing guy, Rob Young, MBE from Switch the Play Foundation, um, put in touch with me by the lovely Beth Tweddle, again, MBE. Um, And he was telling me that um, kind of the mission and and the vision of that organization, Switch the Play Foundation, is that essentially leaving... Um, a life in sport can be really tough. So not all sports people win gold medals. They don't all win international caps and they don't all make million dollar contracts. So for those guys, when their career comes to an end, the evidence shows us that this transition from sport into the world of work, that can result in a loss of identity, a lack of purpose. Um, And then sometimes those kind of financial issues or mental health struggles that would come with that. The reason I raise those points, Joseph, is because you've managed to buck the trend. You've had a successful career in fencing. You've gone to the Olympics. You've achieved your dream. And now you find yourself working as marketing advisor for Petro Canada sponsorship programs. I guess what I wanted to ask you was how easy was that transition from sport to the world of business? The reason I ask is many athletes and potential athletes listening to this podcast you know, whether they're students, children or part-time athletes working in education, they have the full attention of their coaches, of their mentors, of their sports psychologist, of their physio. Everybody is at their beck and call. Everybody works around you to help you achieve your goals and achieve your dreams. And then all of a sudden you transition from that environment to having to work with others, to having to be part of the team, to having to be a cog in in the, the larger machine. How easy was that transition for you? And what were the challenges you faced? Yeah, so there, there are some parallels and some there are some things that are different and you have to be aware of both um, because sometimes that's, I think that's what happens is sometimes the transition, um, when you go into a new world, um, you become a beginner again in a lot of things. And some things that you have built up make you ahead of the curve and some things you're below everyone else. So it's a very uh difficult dynamic sometimes to navigate because you're so used to being sort of like a master in a certain world and uh you come into it as as new but also you have all these experiences that help you also sort of feel like you're experienced uh and i think a lot of the times that's so difficult for for transitioning uh, athletes which is finding you know how to use what you've developed to leverage it into your new world versus understanding all the things you're lacking um so you know when i when i came into a, a role like this um there, there was a lot of things that I brought to the table, which is, you know, a, a learning about asking for feedback, learning about how to be consistently showing up to work, trying to learn, eager to learn, um, you know, new skills, new things of how to, how to do things. And I think that mentality is super important for anyone who wants to grow in a company. And that's why they look for, the, for athletes, because they want that base mentality of I want to grow, I want to be better, uh, I want to achieve a goal. Uh, and all these things, how am I going to achieve it? Let's make a plan. So these things are are so important in succeeding in the business world. But what's different is when you come into the business world, there's so many different you know departments and you're no longer the center or the focus, right? You're, you're a cog in this machine and there's some bureaucracy, there's, there's politics. And as an athlete where I was, you know, I was the, the, I was in an individual sport. So I had a coach, I had a sports psychologist, you had, you, you had a nutritionist at the time and you would go out and you'd compete. There's other competitors, obviously you have referees that are different, but when you come back, you have everyone, you know, working around you to get you better uh, and you working on yourself. But here sometimes people won't care about you. They want that, 
thing report for their department, for their boss. And you have to understand that your manager is here um, to help, uh, but you're there to also help them. It's not a, it's not necessarily exactly like a coach who's just there to cater to you. Like they have metrics and they have things to hit. And you have to understand that dynamic is going to be a little bit diff- different and that your learning curve, sometimes you're going to have to go out and figure things out on your own. Uh, and that you're not, you know, it's not a thing centered around you and you have to, it's difficult sometimes to accept that because you're there like, okay, so my manager is going to have these one-on-ones with me and really train me and get in the, most of the times they're going to cancel those one-on-ones or they're going to have other priorities and you got to go fiend for yourself to figure things out. And you're like, whoa, like I'm lost out here a little bit. Right. So those are things that, you know, in the beginning and, and you're, you're new, so you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and that, that takes a little bit of work and, and you're, you're with people who have sort of been working more years than you in, in the corporate world and understand, you know, uh, about different things in your, whatever department you're in. So you have to find your allies. You have to find people that'll help you, that'll be patient with you. But if they see that you're eager to learn, you're doing the work and you're not just, you know, um, you know, trying to just, you know, you're trying to do your best. Uh, a lot of people will come to, to help you. Right. And, and there, there will be a little bit of a, a learning curve where you have to learn to do things sometimes on your own because there won't be anyone at the time and everyone's busy and everyone has their own problems. Uh, but when you learn that, that base drive you have behind you will help you propel yourself to other levels. And so I think that's what helps me is that understanding, you know, for me, I understand a lot of uh, human psychology and how people are because of fencing uh, and because of understanding patterns, because I've, inter- I've, I've traveled the world. I've seen people from different environments, cultures uh, that I came very open-minded when I meet new people or new, uh, or we have new projects or we have to have people on board, how to speak to people, how to get my message across, how to communicate uh, and then how to apply things and implement them and go for it, right? So uh, that really helps in the, in the business world, and that's helped me a lot. So when you were transitioning from uh, sports to business, did you stay in contact with any of your old mentors, coaches, or your sports psychologist? Yeah, so, you know, that that's a great point. Um, and, and maybe that would have been better to have that same team help you while you're transitioning, because I sort of went from, okay, I'm done with that. I'm in this new world and I'm going to learn to navigate it. But I didn't actually use, I didn't go back to my coach or sports psychologist to talk about it. It was sort of like that was my old life. And that's maybe a good, a good, a good piece of advice because it was a bit of a transition and you're always, you know, you're always like, wait, I'm, you know, by the time you realize, Hey, wait, I'm not actually the center of attention here. I actually have to like figure out things on my own and it's not going to be also laid out for me when you go, there's not going to be a plan for you. Like when you went, go to the gym or something, you know, your the strength coach had a plan set up. It's like, no, like there's going to be times where you, there is no plan out there because of, you know, the bureaucracy. And I'm in a big company too. So it, there's a lot of, you know, levels to do things and, and you want to get things done fast and you want to, Hey, well, like this seems so simple. Why can't it be done? And then there's like, because X, 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 right. So, um, it's, it's very interesting being on this, on this other side. And I think the hardest part for me, the beginning was that, yes, I was like, okay, I'm eager to learn, but who's going to teach me here. <laughs> and that's why you, know, if you could find a mentor in your company, who's maybe not directly your manager, but someone else who's high up in the company, who's is not dealing with you on a daily, but has that experience of years of, or even from another company, you have years of experience going through the ranks of the corporate world. You could really put together what you've learned and what they've learned. And then find that best way forward. So I think you have to find that new coach in the business world that would help as well, right? Because uh, it, it, there's one thing to have your coach from sports, but they are also they have a specialty, and they they may not have gone through this corporate world, and not not everyone is made for the corporate world either. So you got to just find what your niche is uh, after that. Some people become coaches, and that's a way 
more natural transition, I guess, for athletes sometimes, and that's why they do it. Um, but, you know, when you want to go something completely different, you got to go find the right team for you in that world, right? And maybe it's no longer a sports psychologist, but a real psychologist, you know, talking about people and how to deal with people outside of sport, right? And, and it's different mentality um, because it's not always super focused on this hyper one goal and everything around you is going to coalesce to go towards that. There's, there's a lot of competing interests. Support improvement of children's physical and mental well-being with Striver from Too Simple. Teachers of all experience levels will feel confident and in complete control. The PE and well-being package includes over 400 PE lessons supported by six well-being units, all housed online, that makes planning and assessment a breeze. You don't need any specialist training to deliver impactful sessions and they can be done anywhere without any fancy equipment. Right now, you can access a Striver sample pack completely free, including full lessons for basketball and yoga. Download your free pack at twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too simple. You've achieved an awful lot in what is quite a, you know, a very busy, packed career from going to the Olympics to the job you've now currently got and all the different things you've done along the way. A quote I quite liked that you reminded me of was 95% of people admit to putting off work. The remaining 5% are lying. So I guess what he's trying to say there is that everybody procrastinates, even you. But what tips do you have for us listening at home that maybe if we're struggling to get started with something, is there something that you do to help get yourself out of that mindset and into being more productive? I think that helped me a lot in sport is that, you know, naturally, if I stay home and I'm, I'm doing something, I could I could be on the couch just looking at, you know, scrolling or watching TV and just get, get into that mood and time flies and you just like put things off. So what I would do is I, I always like to have scheduled things in my calendar to do things in a day uh, and make sure that when that comes up, it's, it's time to go, right? So it's not just, oh, I think I should do this at this time, but like you schedule in your calendar and it just sort of to mimic when you have an athlete an athlete type life which is you have to be at practice at 9 a.m and if you're not your coach you know there's consequences and you don't want to do that so that would force you to get up and, and do your stuff get your breakfast at a certain time get ready at a certain time so you have to create those i guess non-negotiables in your calendar uh based on what your priorities are and then that sort of creates that sort of i think athlete life mindset which is like i have to go to training i have to put in this work here like today this is the schedule and there's no you know there's no I mean, if you're not going, you're you're not on the team or your coach and everyone else, like, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're, you, it's a professional type environment. So um, obviously work helps that so you have to be there on time too. Uh, but I think for everyday activities that we put off, even within work though, you have to give yourself some time where you give yourself these non-negotiable times where you schedule to do things and just stick to that um, and give yourself time to do nothing as well. And I think that's important is like give yourself periods where you do nothing, where you are able to do something. So it's kind of, breaks that into like you'll have that time to just sort of relax and reset right so the more you could do that the, the easier it is like oh it's in my schedule i should do it instead of having it all in your head um, but i think it helps you get, limit to the time that you're like not doing something that you should be doing and you're like okay well time's over now we got to move on to the next thing and you actually appreciate it more when you're like i only have an hour to do this instead of mindlessly doing things you'll do some things you want to relax but you know that you want to actually you know, do and be productive and that makes you happy. So I think it gives you a little bit of a framework that I think helped me a lot when I was an athlete is that 
it really countered a lot of my lazy natural laziness is that I have to be in practice tonight and I have because I have a goal and you link it to what you why you want to be going to what you want to be doing right and that is what that is something called discipline which is way better than motivation because motivation ebbs and flows but discipline is there to stay right depending no matter what day it is um so i think that's really important i love that that's going to be your quote for this podcast just so you know perfect perfect (laughs) um so talking of non-negotiables what three takeaways do you have for leadership in life for our listeners yeah so i i think for leadership it's about um Number one is 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 being humble about things you don't actually know and, and learn always trying to learn. I think that's really important. And then I think for me, leadership too is show by example, but not by telling people what to do, but by doing it. And I think that's really important. So, uh, and then third is also um, always try to find the like silver lining in things. And I think we've talked about that. And I think that if if you're someone who's finding ways to get better at things, I think that really helps you in life uh, and in work and in anything you do in general. So I think those would be the three. The last question for you, Joseph, before we finish today is uh, what would you go back in time and say to a young Joe sat there watching TV, dreaming one day of being in the Olympics? What advice would you give? Uh, I think number one is is patience. Be patient. Uh, because um, a lot of times try to force results or expect things to come faster and you hit a wall and many times where I almost almost quit, uh, there's difficult times in, that happen and they really test your patience. And it took me, what, 16 years to, to get to the Olympics. So there was a lot of roadblocks in between that. Um, but the, the longer you're patient and you just keep doing the work and just like, you know, trust in the process and have, you know, have faith in that, um, things just end up somehow working out and not always in the way you expect it or in the timing you thought it would happen. But things happen right and that's the thing is that we sometimes expect things to happen at a certain time or at a certain pace or in a certain way and sometimes it doesn't happen in any way or the time that you wanted but it still gets to what you wanted what you needed at the end of what you wanted um so i think patience is really important in life for a lot of things and that i think when you're young you don't really understand that yeah I completely agree. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you mate and really excited for any future work we do together as well hundred uh, percent. Very, very happy to be on here and uh, you, you're onto something great and I hope uh, wishing you the best on this, uh, this series. It's a, it's a great concept. Thank you very much, mate. And uh, next time I'll listen to my wife when she tells me what time we're meeting instead of Googling it. <laughs> Always listen to your wife. That's another rule you should tell the younger self. <laughs> happy wife. Happy wife. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by NAHT, the School Leaders Union. Don't forget to hang around and listen to our Charity of the Week. It's a short segment at the end of this podcast that explores amazing charities doing sensational work across our country and wider. Thank you for joining us today and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Olympic Mindset Podcast. As you know, at the end of every episode, we offer a platform to a charity doing amazing work. This week's guest is Isabel Abtaker. Isabel works for Second Chance. Second Chance is an organisation that receives computers from businesses and schools, fixes, refurbs and donates back into the community. It's a wonderful organisation doing amazing work. Isabel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Tell us a little about the organisation you work for. 
so I work for Second Chance. Uh, it is a community interest, not-for-profit computer recycling. Uh, we have really ambitious aims to reduce the amount of uh, computers going to landfill um, and promote the use of recycling machines. But the uh, our sort of our core work is also uh, providing training for people who are furthest away from the job market. So that might be a physical disability, a learning disability or a mental health issue and just someone who hasn't been in work a long time and they just need a little bit more support to get those employability skills to then get their confidence back in the hope that they will find paid employment. It's amazing. Amazing work you're doing, Isabel. And what's your job title again? Uh, so I am Special Projects Manager. Special <laughs> Project Manager. Sound like a spy. <laughs> I'd like to I think I am. <laughs> so, Isabel, tell me a little about the research you've done into e-waste. So, in the UK, we are the second uh, worst producer of e-waste. So, we're behind Norway, uh, and we produce 1.6 million tonnes of e-waste. So, that was in 2019. And even though there are, um, even though there are requirements about recycling computers in businesses there is a belief that 95% of them still go to landfill so there is a huge amount of machines um, which are not going and obviously understandably if there's data on machines that makes it difficult to go to but here at Second Chance we provide certification that demonstrates that it's been all wiped so there's no concerns about data being um, left on the machines before they're refurbished and then uh, sold to other people. That is a crazy amount of waste. And like you said, I think it might come down to education. People like myself thinking, you know, you don't want to breach GDPR. You don't want to lose data if you're going to recycle machines. But obviously, second chance, you're taking them in, you're wiping them and providing a certificate of authenticity to reassure the organization that that data has been collected and wiped appropriately before it's been recycled. And I, and I think the I guess the other the other end of the um, scale is equally interesting for me in that obviously given the uh, the current cost the increase in the cost of living so we're also we also sell those refurbished machines but we sell them at a third of the retail price so if you're going to go to Curry's and you're going to spend four hundred pounds on a machine that's a lot of money if you're worrying about food on the table uh, gas bills electricity bills but we can sell a computer for a third of the, so that makes it much more affordable and we also so um, look to donate 25% um, of machines back into the local communities through our partners. So if someone doesn't have a machine and they can't access uh, medical care and they can't or they can't access uh, the uh, online banking or job search, we can um, give a computer back. Which, given the last two years, everything's moved online. Like it's like not having a. Com- I don't think I can imagine not having a computer because everything. Is just online at the moment absolutely so you know we've got people in our communities unable to book a doctor's appointment if they don't have access to a computer and you say that you guys also give them away so what's the criteria to receive a device for free so if a um, head teacher has donated 50 machines we will give 10 back and then the head teacher can just give them out um, as they see fit uh, we also work with the job center and if the jobs if the client says to the job center they don't have a machine they get in touch with us and that's you know that's good enough for us I think for us the most important thing is just getting machines 
out there. So Isabel, how can somebody get in touch if they'd like to request a device or make a donation? So the best thing to do is to either go on our website. So we're Second Chance CIC and then there's an info um, email address that you can get direct from there. Um, and if you don't have access to a computer, uh, then you can telephone the office. It's 0203 this is amazing amazing work you're doing and i love the fact you're not only supporting schools recycling materials and and giving it to the most needy in the community as well you know you're doing it all under the umbrella of of education and supporting communities within you know what area are you again barnet yes so we are london borough barnet london borough barnet and you have hopes that you're going to spread further across the country so more people can gain access to these devices absolutely i think at the moment we're just trying to test the model see how it works so is it something that people need is it something that these the organizations who work with people with additional needs is it useful to them and so far in the first 12 12 months i think the answer is overwhelmingly yes so it's just working out how we how yeah how we continue to grow what that looks like what relationships we feel that other places need to have in order to yeah in in order to succeed Amazing work, Isabel. Keep up the great work. That's great. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck with all the spy work as well. Special Agent Isabel Abtaker. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Look after yourself. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.